we see so much going on in this world. Honestly, if people had their eyes and ears open, they would realize that God already told us this was going to happen. The things that are happening around the world today, even in our own country, um, there, there's, there's a lot of judgment that's preparing for, for nations because the Lord Jesus said that was going to happen. Um, but I truly believe that uh, the word also encourages our hearts that we as the church, we as the people of God, the true believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who without any doubt or, or without any question or without any reservation, we are going to stand strong in these days. And, and, and you know, we, we must. It isn't just that we ought to, but that we must. Because in fact, God has a people. God has a people. And He's raised us up for such a time as this. Doesn't that just send goosebumps? If I could just show you my arm, show you the, all the goosebumps on me. Just to think that for this time, God has brought us to this place. Not, not here, but to this time. And, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. It used to be uh, back in the day when we were starting to see the signs after Israel's uh, return to the land, the people of Israel returned to the land, we started seeing certain signs happening. And, and you know, we'd be reading the book of Revelation. We'd be reading other, all the prophets and everything. And we would say, in the condition that we see the world in in the 1970s or the 1980s in that time, you know, we could say, well, you know, there's going to be marks and, you know, on the foreheads and, and the computer chips in the hands and, and whatnot. And then, you know, there's going to be times when after the rapture, there's going to be people being beheaded. Well, the rapture hasn't happened and people are being beheaded. Isn't that something? But we thought they were going to bring out the old French guillotines. And they're not using those, are they? Because we thought everything was going to happen in Europe. That's not where it's happening. Well, some things are happening there. You know, I mean, they even beheaded somebody here in the United States of, back in, in the last year, in 2014. So, I mean, these things are happening. Are, are, we, is, are people waking up? I hope we are. I hope we're awake. First of all, we thank God that He's our protector. He is our, he's our rear guard and He's our shield. He is our buckler. He is everything that we need uh, as, as, as we face the, the, the trials ahead. But... But folks, we gotta we got to wake other people up, don't we? Don't we need to wake other people up? Well, this coming Saturday morning, you know, the men are going to be meeting here for the, the for the uh, men's conference. And if you're helping out, you need to be here before eight o'clock. Uh, breakfast starts at eight, but that you know the workers, you know, we're here to serve, so we're not here to eat you know, all that. Well, you can, you know, you can. But uh, if you're going to re- be registering, we're going to be here about seven forty-five. So. Be here on time and, uh, and uh, let's, you know, be a good witness to the guys that are coming from out of town and, and from uh, uh, the other churches here in El Paso, too. Uh, and, of course, it, it starts uh, 8 is the breakfast, 9 is, uh, is the worship, and, and then it goes till about 3 or 3.30 thereabouts, okay? We have to also get ready for service on Saturday night, too. So um, just uh, keep it in prayer, please. And, and ladies, pray. Pray for your husbands. Pray for the men. Pray for the men to wake up uh, and, and, and be responsible uh, men of God. That, that's what we want and what we need 
in these uh, days and times in which we live. All right. Well, we're in the book of Daniel, aren't we? Okay. I was about to say, let's go to the book of Genesis, but no, I was just kidding. Daniel chapter 4. Got to start somewhere, right? Let's start at the beginning. Daniel chapter 4. Uh, an, interesting, an interesting chapter, to say the least, because as we mentioned last time, this was a chapter actually written by a non-Jew, written by Nebuchadnezzar. If not exactly written out by his hand, transcribed by Daniel uh, in, in, the, in the Aramaic language, but a decree, a, a uh, proclamation, as it were, by the king of Babylon of that time. And it started with a bang, because he says the things that he really wants to wrap up with, but he says it immediately. It is a word to all nations, all peoples, all, all languages who dwell on the earth. He says, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to show the signs and the wonders that the high God had wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes into his testimony. Something has happened to a pagan king by the very hand of Almighty God. And he proceeds to talk about a dream that he received when he was living in peace and safety and security and, 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 and prosperity in his, king, in, in his kingdom and in his, his own palace. He had a dream that made him afraid, a dream that troubled him. And the first 17 verses, uh, or at least from verse 5 on to verse 17, he, he gives us indication of the dream that, you know, he had this dream and he sought out his magicians and his Chaldeans and, and, and his soothsayers and all to come and tell him what the dream meant. Not tell him what the dream was as before, but what the dream meant. But nobody could do it. Actually, they didn't want to do it. They saw what happened the last time when they couldn't do it uh, he started chopping heads off. But at last, Daniel, he seeks out Daniel. And Daniel hears the, the dream. And so we're picking up here in, in verse 19. Actually, I want to read from verse 10 to 18 to kind of set the stage for what this dream is about. Then we're going to see the interpretation. So let's Let's start there in verse 10. It says, Thus were the visions of my head and my bed. I saw and beheld and behold a tree in the midst of, of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it. And the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof. And all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed. And behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. 
He cried aloud and he said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the Spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Why is it that when we are faced with learning humility, that it's never easy? Have you ever discovered that it's never easy when you're learning humility? In fact, it's always hard. You all look at me like, what are you talking about? It's really easy. No, it isn't. You know that, right? You know it isn't easy. Could it be that the flesh always has the tendency to exalt itself and lean toward pride? If that describes anybody, it describes Nebuchadnezzar. And as we saw the last time, those first three verses that I read earlier of this chapter give evidence that the Babylonian king had had an encounter now with the true and the living God, the God of Israel. Not any of the gods of Babylon, the God of Israel. And what this chapter reveals is that God was making it clear to Nebuchadnezzar through the prophet Daniel what Proverbs 16 verse 18 warns us all about. And that proverb says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty or conceited or arrogant spirit goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Or to put it in terms that we would understand, the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody once used this statement. He said, be humble or you'll stumble. And even though there are many ways to display it, pride can usually and simply be defined as loving oneself, believing that you can handle things yourself without God or without God's help. Thinking that you can do things better than others. Considering oneself better than anyone else. And sometimes considering yourself, considering yourself better than God. Because God says something and you decide, no, that's not the way I'm going to do it. I've got a better way. 
an easier way, a faster way, a quicker way. It's new and improved. I can think better. And yet God says, do it my way. Consider this, and I read this today and I thought I'd have to share it tonight. Listen, every now and then, you meet a man who enjoys the reputation of being the most remarkable person he knows. Did you get it? Some of you got it. Every now and then, you meet a man who enjoys the reputation of being the most remarkable person that he knows. (laughs) In a word... That's really pride. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. In other words, what he says is, I've, I've, I've figuratively now transferred these things and, uh, to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. In other words, that none of you would be prideful or haughty or conceited against somebody else. And then he says, For who maketh thee to differ from one another? Or from another? Who makes you to differ from someone else? In other words, who makes you better than somebody else? He says, And, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What, what is it that you have that you haven't received from God? And that's the point that he's making. And then he says, Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? If you received it from God, why are you acting as if you did not receive it from God, but that it really came from yourself? It came from you. That's the real struggle that we have with pride. The dream which was given to Nebuchadnezzar by God accomplished three things. And these three things are very important, so I want you to write them down if you're taking notes. But the dream which was given to Nebuchadnezzar by God accomplished three things. The first thing it accomplished is what we're talking about now. It warmed Nebuchadnezzar of his pride. The dream that was given to this king was a warning about his pride. Secondly, this dream exposed once again the incompetence of his magicians. And thirdly, it gave Daniel another opportunity to glorify his God. It gave Daniel the opportunity again to glorify his God. But we must understand that the testimony of the Babylonian king in this chapter can be summed up in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 66. And I want you to see these words because this is, in, this is the very heart of Nebuchadnezzar in this chapter. Listen to what he says. The psalmist says in Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20, he says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. The first thing Nebuchadnezzar say, listen, I want the whole world to know what the Almighty God of Israel has done for me. I cried unto Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. We'll see that later. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned. 
But verily God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. This, this in a nutshell, is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying in chapter 4 of Daniel. As I mentioned at the close of our last study, uh, the, the significance of the birds and the beasts as types of unclean spirits coincides with Nebuchadnezzar's vision of this massive tree that he saw in his dream. Because that tree not only represented him, but it represented a symbol also of his worship of false gods. In this case, probably the god Merodach, which is the god Marduk in, in the Chaldean language. It was a god that was associated with water, with vegetation, with judgment, and with magic. But I, I bring that up because, again, if, if you have a nation that's filled with, with gods, you have a nation that's filled with unclean beings. Uh, you have a, a, a nation filled with unclean demons. I mean, they're all, every demon's unclean, so uh, that, that's a... Uh, uh, just a repeat of the same word, but you know, it's, it, that's, that's what's happening here. It's a good indication, you see. As he has this dream, it's a good indication that he has not yet yielded to the Most High God. He has not yielded. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that only Daniel would be able to interpret the dream, and so Daniel is, summo- Daniel, Daniel is summoned by the king. And so we begin then our text here in verse 19, and we're going to read a good portion of it, and then we're going to go back and just look at it in, in, in general, because uh, this is how we need to see this whole passage here. We'll, we'll touch upon some of, the, uh, some of the prophecy and the prophetic issues as well. But it says, And Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour. Astonished means astonished. And his thoughts troubled him. Isn't it interesting that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel this, this dream, and, and, and for one hour, Daniel's just sitting there probably looking at him like, just astonished at the words that he's hearing. And in the same verse it says, Then king, uh, the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. <laughs> Too late. He was astonished. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. What that says is, he says, I wish this dream was actually to your enemies and not to yourself. There was a special bond that now that Nebuchadnezzar had with Daniel because of what Daniel had done in the first interpretation of those dreams. And of course, Daniel was a man who was given to, to uh, giving great testimony for his God. So he was a tremendous witness for his God. So Nebuchadnezzar saw that, and even though they didn't believe in the same God at the time, he also saw what, what the, the God of Daniel was doing and what the God of Daniel had done in, in not only giving Daniel the dream and giving him the dream to tell Nebuchadnezzar, that's the first dream in chapter 2, and then the interpretation thereof. So... Daniel has a, a new uh, kind of friendship with, with Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, oh, I wish this dream was for someone else and not for you. The tree that thou sawest, and no, notice now after the hour, he tells them the, inter- the interpretation. He says, the tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth. 
whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. So you're, you're seeing here that this is talking about Daniel, uh, I should say Nebuchadnezzar as the king and his kingdom, and that in his kingdom that it was a very prosperous kingdom, and it was a growing, growing type of kingdom. But then it's verse 22, he says, It is thou, O king, it's you that are grown and become strong. In other words, this dream is about you. I said last week that Nebuchadnezzar had come to realize that this was a dream about him and it was a bad dream. But Daniel does not try to cover that up. He doesn't say, well, you know, I think that it might be, well, you know, this or that. No, he says, no, it's you. He says it as clearly as Nathan had told David when David had sinned with Bathsheba and he said to him, you are the man. This is the kind of directness that as believers we, we, we need to have about the Word of God. And, and, and I don't mean about going around and accusing other people unless you, know, you have evidence. But the point is that he did not compromise before this king. It is thou, o king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reaches unto the heavens, or, or reaches unto heaven, and thy and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And when I saw reached unto heaven, what did that? What does that? What does that remind you of? It reminded me of Babel. It reminded me of a king that said, "You know, I'm going to build my kingdom to the point that everybody knows that I am the best king, the top king, the the most high God king over all the earth." And thy dominion to the end of the earth. And the earth, uh, 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 what was the whole earth at the time? Nebuchadnezzar becomes certainly the king over all of the world, the known world. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven, so now here's, that's really one, one angel, a watcher and a holy one. So that's, that's, that's a messenger angel, the watcher and the holy one. You, you put those, uh, words together and you have a, a, a mighty you have a, a mighty messenger of the Lord uh, the watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying hew the tree down and destroy it yet leave the stump of the, of the roots thereof in the earth even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field I'll explain that in a moment and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. So his kingdom would be cut down. Yet the stump and the root would be alive. It would, it would still be allowed or it wouldn't be taken out and destroyed. The stump was left. And this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. The decree because a watcher has come with this message from the Most High. That they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Now I want you to notice something. Now it is speaking directly to Nebuchadnezzar. They shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Now let's just get this. This is seven years. 
It could it, it, some think it might be seasons, but it's it. I'll, I'll let I'll mention in just a moment. Seven times shall pass over thee till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So notice what, what's being said to him. You need to know that you were king because God made you king. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. So if you go back to the hewing down, you know, he's the tree. Well, he's going to be hewn down. I don't want to confuse that the whole kingdom is destroyed at this point yet. But notice that the tree's hewn down, but the stump and the root is alive and, and left. And, and Daniel makes sure to, to make that clear. The kingdom shall, should, shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. After you know that from heaven where the Almighty and Most High God is, that is who God is and not you. All right. Wherefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Oh, that you will come to that place of confessing your sins, separating yourself from them, and beginning to do the things that will honor the God who will lengthen your life. These things you must do. So going back to this whole section here, the king had to have been bracing himself, you see, for the bad news because he already knew that he had bad news coming. Daniel, on the other hand, as I was saying, was hoping that it wasn't true. He had come to care about Nebuchadnezzar so much that he wished the news was meant really for his enemies. It took him an hour of being astonished by the dream and its interpretation before announcing to Nebuchadnezzar the weighty judgment. Because that's what this is. A weighty judgment that was now coming from the Most High God. Folks, we got a lot of leaders in this, in this world today that's got some judgment coming because they have turned their, themselves away from the Most High God and they consider themselves to be gods. They won't say it. It's not popular in the political world, but they sure act like it. God says, I'm not done with you. I put you where you are for a reason. In some cases, I put you where you are for for salvation or I put you where you are for judgment but wherever I put you I put you there let's remember it's never easy to give a message like this to anyone especially to a friend but if you consider Proverbs 16 verse 7 for just a moment I should have told you to keep your finger in Proverbs 16 but in verse 7 it says when a man's ways please the Lord as Daniel's life pleased the Lord. But when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And that's the kind of relationship you see we, have, we see with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel spoke the interpretation to the king. The good news before the bad news. What was the good news? Well, the tree represented this king and his mighty kingdom which had grown and it flourished. And, and Daniel immediately says to the king, but it's you. It is you, O king. You're this tree. 
And then the bad news comes. The watcher of the Holy One comes from heaven to say, Chop down the tree and leave the stump and its root remaining. And the king was to be removed from his kingdom for, for a time. And we discover that it's going to be seven years. That's kind of a prophetic number, isn't it? You know, four seasons is only about a, well, you know, about a year. <laughs> Give or take, you know. If it's seven seasons, then it's about, it's a year and, and three quarters of a year. So it's a year and three quarters. Uh, that doesn't compute prophetically. The seven years does. And seven is a number God uses a lot. Chop down the tree, leave the stump and its roots remaining. So he's removed for a time, he would not be destroyed. Because it tells us there that the band of iron and brass or the iron and bronze were a type of protective fence in which he would dwell safely. And so God uses this iron and brass, brass or bronze is, is a, a type of judgment. It's a type of metal that, that, that corresponds to judgment. Uh, iron just corresponds to the weakness of men in a sense. But, but here the band of iron and the bronze were this, this protective fence in which he would dwell safely. Why would he need this kind of protection? Because he was going to encounter a deep spiritual illness. Now, I want to, I want to emphasize that. He's going to encounter, encounter a deep spiritual illness. Because you read a lot of people today that they say that, you know, when Nebuchadnezzar goes into this thing, you know, where he, he kind of like turns into an animal and stuff, that, that it's, a, it's a mental illness. Well, I'm not going to say it isn't. I'm going to say that this spiritual illness certainly affects his mental capacities. The effect of that spiritual life or lack thereof in him was going to affect his mental capacities. But Nebuchadnezzar was getting ready to be taken into this deep spiritual illness that would last anywhere, as I said, from either you know one and three quarter years, which is seasons, which doesn't compute all that much, but, it, but to seven years, which does. So we'll just say seven years. And, and, I, and I lean more toward this being years and not seasons, since that number seven, as I said, has much more prophetic implications connected to it. So, and, and I'll talk more about that later on, because later on we actually tie chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 9, and... Uh, ten, all together uh, later on and then we'll see how that uh, ends up being prophetic but on a side note it is quite possible that during this time Nebuchadnezzar was cared for by Daniel I say the time of those seven years uh, and again I'm just, I'm just stating that it is quite possible that during this time Nebuchadnezzar was cared for by Daniel who probably also watched over the kingdom for his friend until the king returned to sanity because remember that Daniel was placed in a very high position in the kingdom. And because Nebuchadnezzar trusted Daniel, there may have been you know, this connection with the kingdom needing to have somebody as strong as Daniel and one whose, whose God was really in control. Though they would not admit it, that's the, that's the point. His, his God was in control. Daniel's God. So what an important lesson for us to learn here if indeed this is what happened. Daniel, to, to care for, for Nebuchadnezzar, though we don't see it directly in the Scripture, but, but you would consider that this is something that Daniel would do because Daniel had to give this interpretation of the dream to say, Nebuchadnezzar, God is going to take you through this so that you will know that He is God. But somebody needed to be with Him. 
to love the unloving, to love the unloved. Certainly a true indication of a transformed heart in Daniel himself. But it's an indication of any of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. To love the unloved. To love those going through struggles and trials. To be there for them when no one else would. In this case, God isolated him but protected him. So it is thought by many that that demented state in which Nebuchadnezzar was going to be in is, is known as zoanthropy, uh, uh, or more specifically, boanthropy. Uh, you know what a bovine is? It's like a cow, right? But, but it, it, re, it, it talks about an ox, because in those days they called the beef oxen, or the cows and stuff oxen. Uh, and it's a real... Uh, you know, it's, it's a documented um, a disease, I guess, and it's manifested by a person who thinks of himself as an animal and acts like one. In this case, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was like a, an ox. And so bo- they say he had boanthropy. Well, that may seem a bit uh, bizarre. I've seen a lot of pictures, you know, you bring up, you know, you have a computer, you say, Nebuchadnezzar as an animal, and then they show all these weird pictures, man, it looked like a chupacabra, you know, it's like, like no, that's not it, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm pretty sure he's not a chupacabra, you know, so, uh, erase that one out of your mind. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, there are actually reported cases of this condition, zoanthropy or boanthropy, in modern times, uh, there was one case, as a matter of fact, way back in 1926. And, uh, well, anyway, you can look that up yourself. But in light of verse 25, go to verse 25 and look at, at verse 25. Because in light of verse 25, no matter what position that we may have in life, no matter what we do, no matter how high we've got in, 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 in life or in, in, in business or whatever we do, We should never forget that God gave that position to us and that He alone is sovereign. He alone is sovereign. And the king had to come to know that. The king had to come to know that. So so the angel and the watcher, when when he makes the proclamation, he says, humble yourself or be cut down. Listen carefully, because this is an interpretation of the King James here. Humble yourself or be cut down. Break off your sins. Break them to pieces. Separate yourself from them and put them at a great distance, distance from yourself. Is this not something that I, I, that I truly believe the Word of God tells us as really on a daily basis as believers in Jesus Christ? Certainly we have to know that before we came to know Jesus. When our eyes were open to our sin, when our eyes were open to our need for, a, for mercy uh, from God, because if not, we would be lost forever. Break yourself from, you know, break, break off your sins. In other words, break away from them, break them to pieces, break them, separate yourself from them. And Daniel spoke to the king honestly and with specificity, but he also spoke to him with hope. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar with hope. Would the, would the king listen? 
Or would he remain stubborn and conceited, self-centered and, and prideful? What would happen? What would happen? Well, the dream was fulfilled. Look at verse 28. Very simple. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Because in verse 29 it says, at the end of 12 months, which says, in essence, the dream was given, the interpretation was given, and a year later, 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar may have had selected amnesia. Because a year later, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, and the king spake and he said, Is this or is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the, of the kingdom by the might of my power? And for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth. Look at how clear we are told things happen. While the word was in the king's mouth. You know, you say, my. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. Is that up there? The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee. Until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever. He will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. The very hour, the very moment that he boasted pridefully that it was his kingdom, his glory, his might, and his power and was driven from men. He was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. Yum, yum. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. In other words, he didn't have a house. You know, a king like that could probably have, you know, some major dogs, you know, that were like his, 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 his pets, and they probably had little mansions for them. You've seen those uh, those people that are very rich and they have dogs and they have the, they build houses that are, that are more expensive than some people's homes and stuff and the dogs live inside. You know what do they do? And they eat and do everything else. But anyway, you know, no, not him. Nebuchadnezzar lived out in the elements with the dew of heaven. That that suggests that every time he went to sleep, you know, in the morning when he was getting up. Uh, the dew was on him just as much as it was on the ground. 
till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. So that doesn't mean that he turned into a really weird-looking chupacabra type you know, person. It just meant that it just kept growing. Long claws, just as regular nails, but they were clawed like, you know. You want to see weird stuff? Just get to the internet, man. They got, they got everything's on there, man. Got, guys have long nails, you know, beards, or, you know, go, whatever. Folks, we may at times forget what the Lord has taught us, but God doesn't forget. We may forget what God has taught us, but God never forgets. Our God is indeed patient. He is even long-suffering with man as he, as he was with this arrogant king. But man soon forgets that the Lord is still a righteous judge and He will judge eventually all men. And so forgetting doesn't help. Forgetting doesn't help. We can't expect God to forget. In James 4, verse 6, it says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. We're told in Ecclesiastes 8, verses 11 through 13, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is full, fully set in them to do evil. In other words, because judgment doesn't come when, you know, most of us would like it to come on evil. And people just keep on sinning like, well, we're not going to get judged anyway. Where is God? Maybe God's asleep. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him, but it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Which means, eventually, God is going to judge in his time. But he will judge. So don't take God's patience and long-suffering to mean he can't do anything about your actions. Or that he doesn't care, or even worse, that he condones your sin. Don't, Don't think that. Make no mistake about it, God will judge sin. You know, that's something that some people, that, that many churches don't want to talk about anymore because they, they, they don't want to offend anybody and they want to get more people to come in and, you know. But you know what? We need to talk about sin. Must I remind you as I must remind myself as well, we're all sinners. Every one of us. Saved by the mercies and grace of God, but sinners nonetheless. God's patience and long-suffering will come to an end one day for those who don't care what God thinks. But one day they will care. One day they will wake up and see that what they thought they had gained in this life, they've lost. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? God's judgment fell upon the king when he was boasting of his mighty kingdom that he had built. But did the king have a reason to boast? Was his kingdom the powerful, that powerful or was it that secure? 
From a human perspective, he did have the right to boast about his mighty kingdom. From a human perspective. But from God's eyes, what he had was given to him by God. God says to Nebuchadnezzar, I gave you that kingdom. Interestingly enough, in in Jeremiah 27, supposedly there's going to be this meeting between Zedekiah, the the, 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 uh, king of of, uh, Judah, with uh, uh, representatives from uh, uh, Moab and Elam and and, uh, Ammon and, and Tyre and Sidon. It's supposed to be some secret, you know, meeting. <laughs> but Jeremiah's told, no, you know, you go, you go put the, you know, you go put this thing on, you know, the, 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 it's just going to show that, uh, you know, these guys can't keep anything from me. And, and, and this is what, what we, I want you to see in, in Jeremiah 27 verses 6 through 11. He says, he says, and now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. He's telling these uh, emissaries from these other lands that are trying to make this little deal with, with, uh, with Judah. He says, uh, uh, I've given these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon... And that, will not, uh, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. By the way, it's a yoke that uh, Jer- Jeremiah put on. That nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land and that I should drive you out and you should perish. But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I remain still in their own, uh, will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell therein. God is in control. He says, I've got Nebuchadnezzar where he is for a reason. I've put him there. This is the real power you see behind the king's mighty kingdom. But now notice what the king does in Daniel 4, verse 34. And at the end of the days, the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. There's really only one direction that we can look up. I've oftentimes said that uh, when a person is struggling with God and sometimes God has to put them on their back because the only way they can look is up. I lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned to me. This sounds very much like the prodigal son. Think about that for a moment. My understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Remember, that's how He started the, uh, his, uh, his proclamation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants 
of the earth and none can stay his hand or none can prevent the hand of God or say unto him, what doest thou? None can say that to God. The first thing that Nebuchadnezzar does is he looks up to heaven. We too must look up to God and call upon Him if we are to be saved. We know that already, don't we? We've experienced that already, haven't we? No one can do that for us. When we do, we will be restored to fellowship with Him. Our eyes will be open to the truths of God's Word and we will have His wisdom imparted to us. The same for Nebuchadnezzar. The next step is worship and praise. The next step for Nebuchadnezzar was once he was returned to this understanding, he worshiped and he praised God. He blessed God. Nebuchadnezzar does that as well. After he was brought to the ground zero in his life. Can you imagine? Every one of us has had a ground zero. And he had his ground zero. But after he was brought to that point, he blessed God. He lifted up his eyes and he lifted up his praise to the Almighty. And then in verse 36 it says, At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar had truly come to know that God rules. You know, somebody would probably say, who are you, Nebuchadnezzar, to be telling me that God is going to put me down? He says, I can tell you because he's done it to me. Do you understand that as part of your testimony? That you're not boasting over someone, you're saying, listen, I've been there. Nebuchadnezzar says, I've been there. I was as high as I thought the heaven was until God brought me down to my ground zero. And it was only then that his sanity, his reason returned to him and his position as king was restored. The, the verbs praise, extol, and honor speak of a continuing action in, in the king's life. What, what they're saying is, he doesn't say it for just a moment. He is saying it now for the rest of his life. That is how those words are placed grammatically there. That is the tense of those words. It was not like the previous chapters where in the excitement of the miracle the king made an empty profession of faith. How many times did we make empty professions of faith until we finally realized that we needed to make a real one? I truly believe there was a sincere conversion in Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what this whole chapter is about. 
And I hope that you see that no heart is too hard, that no person is beyond hope, but all have to make, all have a choice to make to turn to the living God and receive Him as Lord and Savior, or to reject Him and His call upon their life. We have the opportunity to choose God. The cry from the Hebrew Scriptures from Genesis till the very end of time is choose life. Choose life. I close with James 4 verse 10. Whoops. I guess I didn't put them there. Well, let me read them to you. James 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. And then write down 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7. Peter says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Cast all your care upon him. Nebuchadnezzar was invited to do that. (laughs) First of all, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm God, you're not. But if you will honor me, you can cast your cares upon me, and I will care for you. And as, as, as that prophecy of Jeremiah was given earlier in chapter 27, there was something that was said that his, his sons and his, and his sons' sons. As we get into chapter 5, we, we, we come down to his son's son in the next chapter, chapter 5. When we meet Belshazzar and the kingdom of Babylon will be overrun. So, through the life of Nebuchadnezzar, we can only uh, suppose, of course, that uh, he continued to remain one who trusted in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of Daniel because his life was truly changed by the work that the Lord did in taking him out of his comfort zone for a time until he looked up and saw who was really in charge. Do we know who's really in charge? Well, it's not us, is it? It's not us. Let's pray. We thank you for giving us the opportunity tonight, Lord, to finish this chapter and to understand it in light of of the struggles that we face uh, in the flesh. Because we realize that the Spirit is always willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak to itself so that we 
always want to better it, to puff it up, to make it more than what it really is. So I, I, I pray that uh, this study has, has helped us not only to understand uh, what was being faced by this great king, but what we face as well. And how, Lord, it is better that we humble ourselves before you humble us. That it is better for us, Lord, to die to ourselves than for you to humiliate us. But Lord, for us to be humiliated at times, we may need. But we're thankful that you will not consume us, you will not destroy us. For that we give you thanks and praise. So in all of this, Father, we pray that you will strengthen our faith. Strengthen, Lord, our desire to serve you and to draw closer to you more and more each and every day of our lives. And we ask, Lord God, that you will teach us every day what it means to die to ourselves. To take up our cross and to follow you. It's, it's not about us, Lord. Lord, you, you've blessed us so much. You have really blessed us. We may not have what a lot of people boast about having. I, I think it's wrong if, if believers are, are just going around doing that and not realizing that, Lord, one day it could all be taken away. What then? But even if we lose, we gain. Because we never lose you. For this we're thankful and blessed. And we thank you for what we do have because you've given us so much. But may we use it all for your glory, honor, and praise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Shall we stand?